Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. All right, welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. Really excited to see all of your, uh, some of your stories. The young adults look like they had a great time at Carl Casinas house. I'm surprised that half our church went to that party and I didn't know about it. So there's that. Happy New Year's to me. No, I had a, I had a great time hosting uh, some old friends over at my place. And um, these are friends that I've been with for a long time. So really grateful to have them over. Oh, let me go through a few things before I walk into my sermon. So we are going to spend three weeks talking about our vision and values. So today I'm pulling up a, a framework from John Mark Comer, and we'll spend two Sundays on that. Then Kristen will come up and finish off that series. And then Pastor Dave is going to do a six-week series on foundations, going through some of the most basic pillars of our Christian faith. During that time, Nia and I will be in Australia for a, a good few weeks. We're visiting her grandma who helped raise her, uh, 101 years old. So I don't know. She might live forever. <laughs> keeps going. And so we're excited to get a vacation and, and be with her family out there. After we go through the foundation series, we'll go back to the book of Luke that we've been working at uh, most of last year. All right. So when I think about a defining characteristic about myself, I really hate saying goodbye, especially when the party's really good, we're having a ton of fun. And so in my early 20s, our friends and I, we would hang out forever uh, into the AMs at Banana Bay, or we called it Soju Society to make it sound classy. And we would just go like really hard for a long time, but we would drink responsibly. I had never vomited from drinking. I just want you guys to know that. That's the standard, is vomit. Um, anyways, so we're closing out the night. Everyone wants to go home. But I hate saying goodbye to people. I really hate saying goodbye. I hate it when like, good friends are departing. And so they had a code word for how they would say bye to me. They would say, Wilson, we'll see you at your house. And everyone knew, including me, that no one was coming over to my house <laughs> at 3 AM, but that they were just trying to go home. So I would go home. No one would be there. I'd go to sleep. But it felt like a gentler letdown. And I think about why I'm like this. If you know my childhood story, I felt really alone uh, as a kid. I was as extroverted as I was uh, now, but I had a hard time connecting with peers in elementary school. I had a hard time connecting with friends at church. So I felt really isolated. I felt really alone. And I think I'm just trying to make up for it over my 20s and, uh, and even now. I think it's a really cool question to sit back over the new year and ask, who am I and what formed me? What, what pushed and shaped my character, my spiritual life, uh, my, my, my values? 
And that's a, a question we're going to be unpacking over the next two weeks. If you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to focus on this idea of not conforming to the pattern of this world. This, it's kind of uh, summarized by J.P. Phillips. He says, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. The world has a way of wanting to conform us. The world has a, a pattern of how it thinks, what it values, what it believes, and it wants to draw us into that belief system. It wants us to conform to its beliefs. It wants to conform to value the things that the world values. It wants us to have its same thoughts and impulses and desires. When we are unintentional about our formation, about who we're becoming, we just kind of fall into the pattern of the world. That's the default setting. So if you look at the next slide, again, John Mark Homer put together this framework. And I preached about it a year and a half ago, but I want to do a deeper dive into it and integrate who we are as a church as we think about this framework. So here are the ways that, here are the things that shape who we are over a long period of time. The stories that we believe, the relationships that we're bonded to, the habits that we have day in and day out, and then the environment that we, are, that we reside in. So I'll break that down a little bit, and we have to go fast. Uh, otherwise, this will be an hour sermon. I'm trying to do like 50 minutes. Okay, here are stories we believe. So there's a lot of stories that the society has told us over the news, over social media, over Netflix. They have a lot to say about what makes us happy and purpose. They want to define what value, what, what we value, what success means. They have a ton of commentary on sexuality and gender and what that looks like. They have a philosophy and ethics behind that. They have a lot of things to say about politics. And then I think about the stories that we've told ourselves over the course of our life, whether through our family or friends, um, through social media. Some of it can be very negative, like feeling worthless or having the mentality of a victim. We can have also on the other end a, a desire, an unquenchable desire to prove ourselves. Like we can't make any mistakes that we have to prove our value. We could have uh, concepts in our mind that no one wants us. A, a second way in which we're formed is by the habits that we've taken on. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I really want to spend five hours of my day on my phone, right? No one's thinking like, I want five hours plus of screen time. But when you look at your screen time every day, doesn't this shock you? When you look at it every week, aren't you surprised at the amount of scrolling you're capable of? You know, how, like if you just sat in front of me right now and did just scrolling with no screen, wouldn't you be amazed at how long you can do this for? Like, like, think about stopping right now and just doing this for four hours <laughs> with no phone. But we do that. It's a habit that we form. We formed our eating habits. We formed our sleeping habits. We form habits in the way we work, whether we are obsessed about it and we go through the weekends and nights 
uh, neglecting our friendships. There's habits that form us. When we're not intentional about creating our habits, our habits end up creating us. And then there's internal habits. Think about uh, maybe the parents that you had growing up and be able to observe the way they fight, when they escalate, how they pull out the archive of the other person's mistakes, the way that they use, uh, maybe can weaponize certain parts of who the other person is. That when you step back over 30 years of observing your parents, the fighting almost becomes predictable. It becomes habit forming. But that's true of us too, in our relationship with our friends, in our relationship with our siblings. Our fighting is habitual. The way we attach and detach can become habit forming, where we could attach maybe extremely quickly but recklessly and attach, detach uh, fast and, and try to reject people before they reject us. Addictions are obviously habit-forming as well. And then when we're unintentional, our relationships become, we almost just fall into them. And, and these relationships end up, again, forming us. Who are you bonded to? Who shapes your values? Who do, uh, what do you gather around? Who do you listen to? Who do you need acceptance from? When we think about the groups in our life that we need to be accepted by, we can easily succumb to their values, to their language, to what they see as important. And then we think about our environment of LAOC, kind of the the water we swim in, how beauty is such a high commodity. There's a lot of other cultures, a lot of other countries and cities where beauty doesn't hold the same equity. It doesn't have the same currency. But in LA and OC, it might be the most, the thing that we find the most valuable. Wealth is extremely um, platformed in our society as well. It's easily one of the strongest shields against having to be vulnerable, against people seeing the cracks of our integrity or character. When you drive a good car, when you uh, are put together with money, you don't really have to show your flaws. People assume you're just doing well. Um, Our work is a huge identity marker of value, friendships, family, uh, relationship status. So again, when we're unintentional, these are the things that start pushing and prodding in our soul. These are the things that form who we are over time. I think about picking up surfing with Jonathan over COVID. Um, I'm sorry, we would, we, would, we would paddle past the break and then I would watch him surf from, from the backside. I'm, I'm mostly just sitting on my board, watching him surf, watching the sunrise, watching the waves break. It was beautiful, it was wonderful. And then uh, every five minutes, he'd be like, hey, Wilson, let's paddle up shore. And he'd get on his stomach and he'd start paddling. And I'm kind of lazy, so I'm like, ah, oh, you go without me, right? I, don't, I can't catch waves up there or here. There's no reason for me to paddle. But about an hour and a half, Later, he's like a small dot, and I see him coming into the shoreline because we're done for the day. So I paddle back into um, the sand, and all of a sudden, I realize that I'm like a quarter mile away from my car. And that's a long way to walk with a huge foam board that says noob and um, being soaking wet and cold, right? I'm walking all the way up the shoreline because I didn't paddle when Jonathan paddled. And that's really similar to us our formation when we're unintentional about it. We think we're standing still. 
We're, we think we can kind of go on cruise control. But there's this subversive current always pulling us into being formed by the world. It's the water we swim in. But paddling is tiring. It is tiring to paddle. It's tiring to swim up, up the current, to watch films on Netflix and Apple TV, my favorite streaming site, by the way, um, and to have to ask, is this what the Bible teaches? Is this my worldview? What contradicts scripture and what uh, is, is cohesive with it? It's tiring to walk away from a conversation where people are just putting down a coworker that's not in the room. It's tiring to not laugh at a really perverse joke. Swimming up, upstream takes effort and is difficult. But God calls us to that. In the passage, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of transformation in the Greek is, it comes out of the word metamorphosis. It's being totally different. It's, it's becoming something, a, a rebirth, a new creation. And as we're, we're changing and becoming more like Jesus, we think about the world differently. Our ethics are shifted from underneath us. One of my friends talked about becoming Christian as trying to hold some of his life together, and yet the whole foundation is being moved. And he's wondering what he can carry with him into this new life. What parts of his business and friendships and habits he has to let go of in order to become this new creation. Here are some definitions of spiritual formation. John Mark Homer, again, the person gifting us with this paradigm says, it's a process over a lifetime by which we are transformed to be more like Jesus and ourselves. That's what we're talking about. Galatians simply puts, Christ is formed in you. That there's this journey of becoming more like Jesus that we've all entered into as we start our Christian faith. So in the next slide, it's comparing the two paradigms. One is unintentional spiritual formation, which we just walked through. And the other is intentionally forming our souls through teaching the Holy Spirit, practice, and community. So instead of falling into relationships around common interests, around convenience, we define our family in Jesus. Instead of having our habits create us, we intentionally practice the way of Jesus into daily and weekly rhythms. Instead of allowing society to dictate the stories that we believe, we let the Bible be omnivorous. We desire the narrative of scripture to eat all the other narratives of our experience and of the societal stories that we're told. Instead of being swallowed into the environment, we ask the spirit to envelop us. Today, um, we're going to go through just one part of this intentional formation triangle. We're going to talk about practice. We're going to talk about it and how it's integrated into our church and how teaching the Holy Spirit and community is integrated into practice. And then the next week, we'll go over the other uh, three parts of the triangle. So practice. Instead of our habits creating us, we intentionally practice <clears throat> the rhythms of Christ. When I think about practicing, I think about my short career uh, playing basketball for Diamond Bar High School. I ended up tearing three ACLs, but before that, this boy could jump. 
And so I remember I was playing against Roland High School, and um, this girl I liked was watching me play. She went to Roland High School. I forgot her name. She's a ghost. I'm married for 10 years with three kids, right? Don't even know who she is anymore. But she was there. And um, I got subbed in. I was a second string. And someone tried to dribble past me, and I poked the ball. And so it's loose. I run past him. I take the ball down the court. There is no one there. And I'm like, today is the day I dunked the ball. I've never dunked in my life, but I really believed. So I took two steps. I cocked my arm back, and I just tried to rip down the rim. But instead, the ball hits the rim on the side and bounces to the other side of the court. Everyone's laughing. And if you're an athlete, you know that if you can't do it in practice, if you're not doing it at the park, you're not going to go an in-game dunk, right? Like, no one knows, everyone knows that except for me. And I think about being an athlete and how we all, um, if you're an athlete, you know how to grow. You know what it takes to get better, to be able to compete with your peers. So I think about, like, imagine you growing, going up to your coach, being a running track, playing tennis, uh, playing basketball, and tell him, like, where's Erwin? Erwin, let's say one of your high schoolers come up to you. He's a, he's a tennis coach, if you didn't know, uh, and says, Erwin, I am not growing as an athlete, right? And he just stares you in the face, like, it's your fault. <laughs> and then Erwin looks at him, and he says, hey, what are you eating? And he's like, I, I consume the four food groups every meal. Big, two Big Macs, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? We got protein, we got, we got carbs, we got lettuce. All right, uh, what are you doing in terms of weight training? I go, go up the stairs to my apartment. How many practices are you going to? Uh, you know me, I come once a month when it's convenient. What about your training partner? What do you guys do together? Oh, we go watch Netflix. Like, it's pretty obvious to Irwin, and it should be extremely obvious to the athlete why they're not growing um, as a player. But there's a lot of times where people come up to me and they're like, Wilson, I, am, I feel dry in my faith. I don't know why I'm not growing as a Christian. And I'm like, hey, how often are you reading the Bible? Uh, it's really sporadic, but maybe like three times a year. How often do you pray? I do like half a sentence right before my meal. How, how, uh, how are you developing your friendships at church? Yeah, we love going to drink boba. We love uh, watching movies together. How are you connecting with your small group? I just kind of go when it's convenient. Okay, the athlete, they're like, when you say that to an athlete, they're like, yeah, I need to do better. But when I tell the Christian who comes to me and saying that they're stuck in their faith, and I say, and I ask them to read scripture, commit to small group, develop strong relationships, nine out of 10 times they're like, it's not that. You know, it's not because it's not, it's not of those things. When I look at uh, some of these quotes, uh, Dallas Willard say, says, grace is not opposed to effort, but earning. And the two are not the same. Grace gifts us salvation, but it doesn't gift us sanctification. Grace gifts us the spirit living inside of us, but we are to speak to it and spend time with the spirit and fall in love with him. Grace gives us the living word of God, but we have to engage it and read it and let it convict us. We are the one to choose to obey the scripture that is in front of us. Grace is not opposed to effort, but earning, and the two are not the same. 
Without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. God doesn't just... When we just sit there, we, we go toward the world. God doesn't viola, violate us. He doesn't make us love him more. He doesn't force us to read scripture. God wants to partner with us in it. When I think about our, when I think about, again, intentional spiritual formation and how it interrelates in terms of practice to teaching community and the Holy Spirit in the next slide, um, the te- we practice the teachings of Jesus, that the practices and the way of Jesus is defined by scripture. There's so many scriptures that, that lead us not just to a one-time experience of the Lord, but an intentional formation of habit in our life. The community, our church, is about creating a space where we not only hear about the practices of, of, of being Christian, we're not just taught it, but we have a hundred avenues of what it looks like to practice the way of Jesus together. I hope that Renew as a whole isn't just a lecture, but a lab where we come together and we learn how to pray and read the Bible and be in community. That is not primarily a lecture, but like going to a karate class, my kids, Taekwondo, where they're practicing. The teacher tells them how to do a kick. Master Yoon tells, throws a kick in front of them. He throws a kick that is off balance, and the kids laugh, and he's telling them what not to do. And then the rest of their section, they're doing ass, not ass kicks, axe kicks. <laughs> and um, and other, other kicks as well. All right. So our church, Vision. We exist to be God's family, empowered by the Spirit, to join Jesus' mission in renewing the world. And when you look at the different uh, slides of of our crown, it represents different values of our church. And we hope that each of these values will be embodied by the rhythms, the practices that we are intentionally forming in community. So I have six more slides of practices and then a sad story to end our time together. (laughs) Happy New Year's. Here we go. God's family, the practice of gathering. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The habit of doing is the habit of not meeting, the habit of letting things get in the way of our Sabbath and our small groups and spending time together. When you look at COVID, 40 million Christians in America stopped going to church. There was, and, and I'm not talking about during COVID, which was appropriate to keep us safe. I'm talking about right now, three years later. We, there was this huge dis- disruptive force in us gathering together, and many people never picked the habit back up again. But Sabbath was created before the fall. After God made the earth and humanity in six days, on the seventh, he rested. And he marked out that day so that we would remember that we are sons and daughters and not slaves to our work. From the beginning of him gathering a community from the Jewish nation, he set apart that day for people to come together in hearing his word, in worship, in loving each other. We have small groups as a smaller expression of Sundays where we, again, hear God's word and pray for each other. 
We have, there's a, in God's family, there's a practice of confession. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. I hope that our service and, and us gathering together wouldn't be AMC where we observe a stage, but we would, we would practice prayer and, and it wouldn't be a networking event where we're putting on our happy face or we dress up and pretend that everything's going great. But instead, we would bring the hardest parts of our life in front of each other, asking God to help us hold the valleys, to walk us through them. And for me, one of the things I love about our church, one of my proudest moments is when we launched our sexual addiction accountability groups. Over COVID, we did a three-week series on Sundays. We did 10 weeks of workshop with Roy Kim, who specializes in sexual addiction. And then we launched 10 accountability groups, five women and five men. And we continued to roll out accountability groups year after year. We had a love addiction workshop led by um, Rika, uh, bringing women together who struggle with love addiction. We have divorce care, holding the most tender part of someone's life as, as, as they've gone through divorce. And we want to encourage uh, embracing boundaries. You know, when you're addicted to something, you can't, if you're addicted to porn, you shouldn't be carrying 100,000 videos on your phone, probably more than that, right? You, you set up boundaries in your life. And we want to be a community that, that encourages boundary setting, whether it's with alcohol or with explicit images or with gambling. We need to live a life that feels safe. I remember signing my kid into preschool at EV Free a few years ago, and um, they're like, oh, we use a new app for sign-in. I'm like, uh, I can't download apps. She's like, it's okay, just use this QR code to go on the internet. I'm like, I don't have the internet on my phone. And then the preschool teacher looks at me and she's like, man, your wife has you on lockdown. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I choose to live this way. I, and it's because of the boundaries that I feel safe with my phone in bed. I feel safe at home alone. How can we practice supporting each other and fighting through sins and walking through valleys? We have prayer stations on the side every Sunday for you to bring what's heaviest on your heart to our staff and our uh, prayer team. Dr. Ken and Pastor Chrissy offer inner healing ministry uh, about an hour plus where they go into some of the most formative core memories and allowing Jesus to speak in and be present in those spaces, bringing deep and significant healing. And then we have the privilege of um, Bob Moretta coming to our church. He wrote a book on inner healing, inner healing prayer. Pastor Christy went to his workshop, and he's, we're, we're dreaming of ways to incorporate that even deeper into our church. We hope that we can find healing here by holding the hardest moments of our life before the Lord and with each other. In terms of God's family, we, we practice reading scripture together. Again, all of these verses aren't talking about a one-time event. It's a rhythm. It's a way of life. Keep the book of the, of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We practice this by preaching through God's word in our sermons, our small group Bible studies roll-ups 
rolls up its sleeve to tackle and handle the passage before we hear it on Sunday as a way of learning to tackle the text together. And then on our Bible app, we go through different books of the Bible, and as a community, we reflect on it. We ask questions together. We talk about application. And that's an invitation to all of us. We try to talk about it every Sunday because we believe it's so integral to your spiritual diet to have the word of God in front of you. And yet it's so easy for that discipline to, again, be sporadic, be convenient and then inconvenient, be uh, forgotten. But when we do it together, it's an easy way to have it become part of your daily uh, work. And again, all of these things can become just checklists and religious acts, but it's in partnership with the Spirit as we form these practices where the Bible opens up our life. It cuts us. It convicts our heart. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It's inviting the Spirit into these practices that transforms us to be more like the Lord. Three more slides. Empowered by the Spirit, our third chord value through the practice of prayer. Again, this habitual, almost breathing of prayer every day. Pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all of God's people. In small group, we have a huge segment where we pray. In Sunday service, I had this vision of people coming in on Sunday and praying for each other. And it was so hard to integrate, even though we're a church. And so we do these breakout groups, hoping that at the second breakout, you would be ministered to, and you would minister um, to the person next to you. And then lastly, I just want to talk about the Bible app that we do our Bible plan on. There's a prayer tab, if you look for it, at the bottom right. Um, and it's been an amazing way for me to pray for our people at our church. Uh, the women who are pregnant, those who are going through uh, chronic illness or job transition. I found myself having such an egocentric prayer life. It's really just me and my family. But through this prayer tab, it's almost like flashcards. I can walk through the prayer requests of my small group and people who come up to me and then make a log of all the prayers that God has answered or the ongoing updates um, uh, as I check in with people. What it would change your small group if you started implementing this prayer tab as people share about their life. Empowered by the Spirit through the practice of silence. In Psalms 46, verse 16, it says, Be still and know that I am God. In Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And we see this we see him do this through the course of his life. We, we try to practice this seasonally. So if you were with us through Advent, we spent five minutes of practicing breath prayer, not as this special Sunday activity during Advent, but as a way for you to integrate that into your daily life. We're practicing something together so that you can do it by yourself with the Lord and smelling um, birchwood with your candle, with your at-home candle. At retreat, we usually have no main speaker. But after worship, we carve out that time to, again, sit in silence with the Lord. We have prayer activities for us to quiet our hearts to be with the Lord. As we silent our, the noise from the world, we tune our ears to the whispers of the Spirit in our soul. 
as we pull away from others in solitude, we create a space where we get to be with the Lord in focused and intentional ways. Remember that he's with us as we pull away from others. I think about our screen time and how putting down our phone in all the in-betweens of our day, you know, like standing in line, using the restroom, um, any time between, like what would it be like to, to put down our phones and to say, instead, I'm going to think about the Lord? What does it look like that instead of starting and ending our day with our phone, that we start and end the day with Jesus? Uh, I really tried to be intentional about that over this year. So uh, almost the whole year, I had, um, I had no games on my phone, and I wanted the most exciting part of my phone to be the Bible. <laughs> so that, that's a high bar, right? So it's like Excel, Gmail, Scripture. I get those choices. And it's totally uh, changed my brain, the way I, I can rest and quiet my mind. It's changed the way that I've been able to self-reflect throughout the day and be with the Lord. All right, last slide before our sad story. <clears throat> Mission of Christ. Uh, again, our third core value. Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after widows and orphans in their dis- distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And Jesus' mandate to us, go and make disciples of all nations. One of my favorite looks of our church is when we are serving together outside of this theater at a foster camp doing hand motions for the kids. Um, at RFKC Club, I get to see some of my closest friends there. And even though we don't have long conversations, it's beautiful to work with them for these kids who are in the foster system. We're, we've just had conversation with Foster the City. We have a couple at our church that are going through the foster process, and we're creating a support system for them and also opening up that opportunity to those of us who are, are, are blessed and um, can bring in a foster kid. OC United, for our anniversary service, it was about being able to look outside of ourselves in the city and find ways to serve. We're sending a small mission team to, to do a water project in Latin America over the next few months. We want to think about how to integrate faith and work. And our meetup is blowing up. We probably get over 100 people um, through our sports ministries, basketball, volleyball, and pickleball. And half of them don't come to our church. They're through this app called Meetup, where people gather around with common interests. And I just think about the amazing gospel opportunity we have there to start spiritual conversations and to invite them into our church family. And again, all of this isn't just doing it for the sake of it. It's not just developing a practice because we want to check off boxes. It's creating space to be with Jesus, to fall in love with him, and to be family with one another. God gives us with the church family. I'm family, I'm, brother, I'm a brother to you before I met you and before I knew your name because we are under um, the family of God. But becoming intimate, knowing each other's stories, trusting one another with our hardship, that takes work, doesn't it? It takes effort. It takes showing up. So um, imagine, imagine be getting married right, saying your vows, having a huge celebration. Your friends and family are there. Everyone you love is in one space and eating a great meal. And after the reception, 
you just move, you, you send your spouse to the, to the apartment, and then you just kind of move home with your parents. <laughs> and then you go visit them like once a week, Sunday mornings. At mealtime, you take a picture of your food, and you're like, this meal was amazing, right? That's all the interaction you have. You're basically living a fully single life, but legally married to your spouse. I think about how some of us, when we think about the Christian faith, it's like we made that commitment to the Lord. We prayed that prayer. But the way we live pretty much all the other days of our life is like we're not Christian or we're not following Jesus. That, that the way we think about our life, think about the world, think about purpose, is closer to people who don't know the Lord than it is to, to Christ. I have a mentor and a very close friend who um, unfortunately lost his wife uh, a few months ago. And, and I gently asked him if it was okay to share the story with you guys. And he was very gracious and wanting, wanting his life to be lived in front of you as well. So I went to the funeral. Uh, she lived a very rich life, her, loved by her family and her friends. And then uh, I gave my friend a really big hug and then just started checking in, especially over the holidays. And then we finally got to sit down together for coffee. And um, I asked him this very strange question in the middle of our conversation. I said, even though she's gone, do you still, do you still get to experience her? And he said, there's not a moment of my day where I don't feel like she's, she's with me or she's impacting it. And it's different. I can't hear her voice, I can't hold her hand, but she's with me. And he, he gave me a, an example where there's this restaurant that they had an RSVP in, but you know, she, she couldn't make it. So he just grabbed a beer and he's sitting by the pier of Long Beach, a place where they've sat many times. And then he's looking at the strip of sand. And he said, as I'm looking at the strip of sand, with the waves crashing in, I just think about all the moments that we shared there, because we lived in Long Beach our whole life. And I said, man, I could just imagine you guys sitting there watching the sunset as a young married couple. And then 10 years later, digging up holes in the sand and making tunnels with your young kids. And then after they go off to college, you're scrolling through your phone, looking at their baby photos as you walk up and down the shoreline. And then 10 years later, um, playing with your grandkids, digging the same holes, making the same tunnels on the same sand. As we talk about this journey of grief, um, there's these memories that are just littered throughout his, his years, his spaces at home, throughout the city, because wherever he went, he went there with her. I wonder when we think about our faith, when we think about like making that commitment to the Lord to walk with him, to love him and to be with him, do we see the decades of our life or the years of our life roll by and we spot Jesus through all of it? Every mountain and valley, every tear and laugh, every season of life and life stage, that he's with us. And we have 
him littered everywhere we are. I hope that that's, that's your experience of the Lord. Because when we talk about these practices, it's not to do something, but it's to create space to be with this God who loves you, who, who wants to make every memory with you, who's your best friend. That's why he dies on the cross. That's why he comes to earth. And that's the invitation that he has for us. It's not an invitation of a retreat prayer or going through the KGP or, or an hour on Sundays. It's an invitation of him holding our hand through all of life and journeying through it with us. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much that you wanted to be family with us. You wanted to indwell us. You wanted to share all of life with us, to be with us in our worst pain and our greatest joys. And because of that, you die on the cross to remove our sin and to give us eternal life in you. But it's, it's like that wedding day. That's just one, that's the starting part of a rich journey that we get to have in you. I pray that we wouldn't take that covenant with you and then live a life that's single and in the pattern of this world. But instead, that we would quiet our hearts to enjoy your presence. We would allow your word to define who we are and how we are to live. We would become family with the people in this room. And we would pray and hear your voice throughout our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to, hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.